I'm not some kind of a dog whisperer. Um, I'm just a schnook. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Chapter 18 of Autobiography of a Schnook. I am Sean, and of course, I'm a schnook. And uh, this episode is so-called the Beagle episode, for reasons that will be apparent momentarily. But before I go on any further, I I just have to admit I felt a bit uneasy after releasing the previous episode, because upon listening to it, uh, yeah, that's right, I listened to my own podcast. I kind of thought I came across as mean-spirited in the segment about going to church, and I promise you I did not mean it to be mean at all. I asked a few people who heard it, uh, I said, did I sound kind of mean in that? And they assured me it didn't sound mean at all. I had my wife read the script. Uh, She doesn't listen to podcasts, so I just showed her the script. And her reaction to it was, well, you're only telling the truth. I don't think you're being mean at all. (laughs) I did hear from uh, someone, I think it was Ferg, who said when he was an altar boy, he got to ring those uh, chimes I talked about during the Liturgy of the Eucharist. And that reminded me of something I only found out recently. My brother, the last person I would ever think would voluntarily spend time in church, said that he pleaded with my parents to let him be an altar boy. My parents claim they have no memory of that. I, I cert- Well, then again, I was, I was just a baby at the time, so I don't know. Uh, as for me personally, I never wanted to be an altar boy because I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. And I especially didn't want to wear that stupid-looking robe. The last thing I needed to be as an introvert was up there in front of the whole congregation wearing this weird dress. I got a lot of feedback about the music segment, too. Apparently, a lot of you used to trade uh, Dutch imports, as we call them, (laughs) back in those days. Uh, One thing I forgot to mention was that there were some vinyl bootlegs that I acquired only because of the title. You might remember I spoke of a Beatles bootleg called Withered Beatles, whose cover parodied the cover of the Beatles' second album called With the Beatles, of course. It was on a label called Sapcor, and Sapcor actually put out a whole series of Beatles bootlegs whose titles and album covers parodied those of actual Beatles albums. Uh, I remember there was a George Harrison-themed one called Lifting Material from the World, um, as opposed to Living in the Material World. Uh, There was um, another one called Rabbi Saul, which of course is the Rubber Soul parody. And it had the Beatles from the Rubber Soul album cover, but with like rabbi garments superimposed over them. Well, I do have another vinyl bootleg from Sapcore whose cover parodied the Help album. But instead of Help, the album is called, um, well, another four-letter word I won't say on this podcast. It is one that I did say uncensored several episodes back, just to quote my late friend Jeff when he was uh, suffering from cancer. Uh, Let's just say the album is called Fire Truck, but it's missing a few letters in the word fire truck. But uh, on the cover of the uh, Fire Truck bootleg, uh, that was based on the American version of the Help album, which had the titles of the songs listed on the front cover, such as Ticket to Ride and You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. But the Sapcore bootleg listed the songs as... uh, Ticket to Fire Truck, and you've got to fire truck your hide away. The actual content was mainly two records worth of recordings the Beatles made for the BBC and maybe a couple of interviews. I think it has a studio outtake or two on it, too. 
And by the way, I found out later that all those Sapcore bootleg covers were basically lifted from National Lampoon. The magazine was the one that came out with all those uh, goofy Beatles parodies, just that Sapcore stole them to make these bootlegs. But there's another Beatles bootleg album I bought simply because of its weird title, and that's The Beatles vs. The Third Reich. Kind of controversial here. Uh, Back in uh, 1964, VJ Records released a two-record set called The Beatles vs. The Four Seasons. Both The Beatles and The Four Seasons were on the VJ label at the time. And there were a couple of parody bootlegs of that album over the years, including The Beatles vs. Don Ho. But uh, The Beatles vs. The Third Reich, that was a collection of recordings that were made of The Beatles performing at the Star Club in Hamburg, Germany in 1962. Sometime in the late 70s, the tapes were released on various gray market albums. Uh, basically, the Beatles' official management turned down the tapes. They're like, no, these sound like crap. We don't want to release them. So whoever owned the tapes took it upon himself to get them distributed. And because the sound quality is terrible, that's one of the reasons that for decades, the folks over at Apple, the Beatles' uh, company, tried to stop the tapes from being released. I think they eventually won sometime in the late 90s or early 2000s. But as with the Beatles versus the Four Seasons, the Third Reich bootleg has a subhead that reads, each delivering their greatest vocal punches. Below that, the text in the Four Seasons album reads, inside scorecards, biographies, pictures, stories of all the contestants, plus free 8x15 full-color Beatle picture suitable for framing. Well, the text on the Third Reich album cover reads, my apologies, by the way, Uh, I don't mean to offend, I'm just reading what it says. It says, inside a couple of uncensored, previously unreleased Star Club concert, plus a bunch of drunken crowds yelling and belching during the show. Yikes. Oh, I hope hope my wife doesn't change her mind and listen to this episode, because she's uh, German. (laughs) But anyway, there's one other Beatles bootleg album I've been looking for for years just because of its title, but I've yet to find it. So if anybody listening knows where I can get a copy of when it says Beatles, Beatles, Beatles and the label, 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 you will love it, love it, love it on your turntable, turntable, turntable for a reasonable price, hit me up via email at autobioatschnookpodcast.com. But having said that, let's just get started with chapter 18. This one will be called the Beagle episode because the entire episode, including the music for Schnooks segment, has a Beagle theme. Now, to help me out with this episode, I have my wife Lisa as a special guest with me again. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll remember she also appeared with me a few episodes back, and for some reason that recording sounded pretty bad. All kinds of of buzzing, electricity going on, I don't know what was going on, but the recording for this episode you're listening to now was made on the exact same recorder, but somehow it sounds fine. We recorded it in Ocean Beach, San Diego, actually on the beach, literally underneath a lifeguard stand. This was back in September 2019, when we were on vacation celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. So you'll get to hear ocean waves in the background And because Ocean Beach is directly in the flight path of San Diego International Airport, you'll get to hear a lot of airplanes going overhead. And the stereo effect is pretty cool, I must say. By the way, please listen in stereo if you can. Now, having said that, it was late at night. We're talking 11, 11.30 p.m. when we recorded this. And you'll notice there's a lot of airplane activity. Who in the world 
is taking so many flights that late at night and why? And by the way, just kind of a, a trigger alert. Uh, you, those of you who haven't heard this podcast before, uh, when I first started recording this podcast over a year ago, we had a beagle named Ruthie. And unfortunately, she died shortly after I started the podcast. When we start talking about Ruthie, I actually kicked it off by talking about the night that she died. And the reason that I did that was I wanted to get the bad stuff over with and done so we can kind of finish on a positive note. Oh, by the way, I should warn you, uh, I don't know what it is, but all three times we've been to San Diego for a vacation, I was sick. I had some kind of sickness. Two of those times I actually had to go to uh, one of those walk-in places and get a prescription. But you're going to hear my voice sounding a little bit nasally, a little bit congested. I apologize for that, but now you know why. Um, we're going to San Diego again in the near future. Let's see if I can stay healthy for that. But anyway, here are Lisa and I talking about our life with beagles. So yeah, we're just going to talk about our history with beagles. Because we now have a beagle history. Mm. What about your beagle history? Well, it goes back to before I was born. Um, my parents got a beagle that they named Snoopy uh, about three months before I was born. My father wanted to name the beagle Pinto, but my mother overruled him, probably because she was the one who was pregnant. Ah. Pregnancy wins. But, yeah, they got this little puppy and really had no idea how to what to do <laughs> they got a book about beagles that was probably published in england because it had things like they misspelled color well they spelled it their way it's not a misspelling they spell it's it just anyway now there's one picture that has a caption that says it behooves you to instill soundtractability in your beagle whatever the hell that's supposed to mean so <laughs> Because it never happened, and I don't think it's ever happened in anybody who's ever had a beagle. But anyway, spoiler alert: Snoopy was—he was a real—he was a very, very good boy. But people didn't know then what they know now about puppy mills, and he probably came from a puppy mill. He was an AKC purebred with papers, but he was sick almost his entire life. Oh. He had uh, pancreatitis. Uh, he had epilepsy. In fact, uh, he only lived to be about five years old because mm -hmm. they had to, uh, they actually, the vet had to put him down because he was, went into seizures and they couldn't stop them. Oh. But he was a good boy, except for the time that he destroyed the family room. <laughs> my, I think it was the first time my parents had left him alone all day. They had gone to a wedding or something and they came home and the family room which really didn't have much in it at the time, but Snoopy had destroyed the cushions on the bar stools, chewed up a bunch of paperback books, uh, ripped up a pile of newspapers, knocked over a bunch of things. And he was, he was less than a year old. He was like kind of an older puppy, I guess, at the time. And my parents came home and they opened the door and there's this big mess and you know usually a dog knows when they've been bad you know they'll cower or hang their head or hide mm -hmm. Snoopy was sitting right in the middle of the mess all proud of himself 
but this look on his face like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? So my father had his camera with him still, and he took a picture because he he loved the look on Snoopy's face. Well, the world needs to see this picture. I was a little kid when Snoopy died, so I don't have too many... Like, the memories I have of him are just little glimpses of him here and there. But I know my mother, you know, has told me things that happened, like how when she would take him out for a walk in the morning and bring him in, when she took off the leash, he would run upstairs to wake me up. Like, he'd jump on the bed, and I'd hide under the covers, and he'd sniff me out. And he really learned to appreciate me once I started eating in a high chair. Oh, yeah. Because it became a source of food for him whenever I dropped something from my tray. And one time, you know, my mother had put me in the high chair with some cereal or something and had gone, left the room to do something. And she heard this screech. Like She heard a screech and came running back in. And it was Snoopy helping himself to the food on my tray. Like, didn't even want to wait for me to drop anything. Well, no. And, uh, I mean, that's the thing. He was, he was so, he was a sweet boy, but, but he was sick. And it really broke my parents' hearts when he died. So they didn't want to get another dog after that. And I never quite understood because I didn't really remember Snoopy being sick or I was too little to understand what goes with taking care of a sick dog. I mean, I learned that later on, but I didn't really understand. So I grew up always wanting a dog, but I knew my parents weren't going to go for that. And you always wanted a beagle, though. Well, yeah. I mean, beagles, beagles are the best. And I mean, we had in the upstairs hallway where we had all the framed pictures, there was a really pretty 8x10 color picture of Snoopy that my dad had taken. He was he was still a puppy, but it was a close-up with his ears fluffed out the way beagles do and his head tilted. Aww. So it was just like such a beautiful, perfect picture. And I used to spend a lot of time looking at that because I just thought it was... There was no dog that could be prettier than than a beagle. So what'd you do about it? Well, anybody who knew me knew that I loved beagles. And one of my college roommates, her father had gotten a beagle to use for hunting. And he had had the beagle bred. And she had a litter of puppies. So uh, Dio had offered me one of the puppies. And I think this was right when we first graduated from college so I didn't want to take one at the time because I didn't even have a job yet Yeah. and I didn't want to take on the expense of a dog without even having like a real a real college graduate job as opposed to you know, my part time job working at a surf shop so a year later the Beagle had another litter and by then I had a good job I was making good money, and I, I was living with my mother at the time, and Dio offered me another puppy. And so I talked to my mother, and I said, okay, it's been 20 years. <laughs> Can I have a dog? <laughs> yeah. So 
she, you know, she realized that, yeah, it had been 20 years and since especially she knew, even though I was living with her, it would be my dog and my responsibility you know, for taking care of the expense and all the other things. So she said, okay. And that's how I got Spot. He has that name for two reasons. One is there's a Mary Englebright uh, drawing of a little boy hugging a beagle-ish looking dog. And it says, everybody needs their own Spot. And I thought that was just the sweetest thing. Also, the first thing Spot did upon entering the house was pee on the carpet. Oh. So, it's like, yep, that's his name. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I got him in, let's see, he was eight weeks old when I got him. So it was probably beginning, I think it was around like Labor Day in 1995 yeah. when we got him. And Dio brought him down with her. You know, with her mother, and uh, they're Portuguese. And even though they've been in this country many, many years, her mother, you know, they still speak Portuguese at home. So before they left, Dio's mother spoke to Spot in Portuguese because she had she had taken care of him from the day he was born. Like, yeah. I always knew how he was cared for, and she took excellent care of the puppies. She talked to him in Portuguese, and I think she was telling him, it's okay, you can be a wacko now. <laughs> Why? Was he a wacko? Well, not that day. That day he was a very sleepy, Aww. cold, little, snuggly puppy. Aww. And then after that, he was a hell beast for the next 12 years. Aww. <laughs> like hell beast in what way? <laughs> okay, it wasn't like he was... He wasn't a bad dog at all, not by any stretch of the imagination. Hey, I, I knew him for, for a lot of his life. He was a good doggy. But he was a weird dog. I mean, he, he liked to destroy things. He destroyed a lot of things, especially when he was younger, which is to be expected oh, with sure. a puppy, but still. Like, I had a T-shirt that I had just pulled out of the box from Land's End, put it on, and I sat down on the floor, and I didn't realize he was he was right behind me, and I thought he was sleeping. It turns out he was very subtly chewing the tail of the shirt and put a great big hole in it. And another time, I mean, any time we gave him a blanket, I mean, we had fleece blankets that looked like Swiss cheese because he chewed holes. He would take the blanket in his mouth and clamp down on it and then hug the blanket, like bunch oh. the blanket up underneath him and hug it with his front legs. And just, you know, he would chew on the blanket and just destroy the blanket. He, he destroyed a lot of things. He ate a $20 bill once. Mm -hmm. And he had a voice. I think he was an opera singer in a previous life. Because he would throw his head back and... And you could hear him down the block he had a wonderful set of lungs and and i mean his voice it sounds funny but i mean his voice he had a beautiful voice like a high clear not a raspy voice i mean it really they you know some people say that they describe the beagle's voice as singing and it really did hmm. sometimes sound like that I mean, he would hit notes. He would jump octaves. <laughs> yep. He was a very... And he made himself hurt, too. Oh, yes, he did. 
like that time that we had to take him to the the vet and they noted on his record that he was they noted acute vocalizing meaning he was ruining his damn head off. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, another thing he destroyed the strap on my on one of my sandals. Well, yeah, because your sandal fell from the stair landing and he probably thought it was manna from heaven. You know, this thing falls from above and this tasty leather strap on a Birkenstock sandal and I mean, who is he to question it? He's going to che- he's going to eat it. But he you know, he had a lot of personality. He I caught him once admiring himself in a mirror. Like, not like how dogs look in mirrors and they think that there's another dog. No, he knew it was him. Because hmm. he kept looking and tilting his head and admiring his beauty. Well, did he know it was himself, though? I how think, do we know? I don't know. But he might have been saying, hey, who's that handsome little dog? I don't dog? know, but... No, he... I think he knew. He, he won a, a photo contest. He did? That's right. Yeah, I took a picture of him smelling a flower and I sent it into the Monmouth County SPCA for their calendar contest and they chose his picture I think it was for uh, like May or June mm-hmm. he was he was in their calendar yeah and he loved to flirt he flirted with oh, women oh yes he did he flirted with other dogs like other beagles there was a uh, an old very old beagle that lived about a block from my mother's house named Lolita because ah. whatever Lolita wants Lolita oh, of, gets of course and she if we were walking down the street and she was out in her yard she would cry oh. until we got there and she would she and Spot would touch noses through the fence oh. and there was another beagle named Candy that was about two couple blocks away that we would pass by the, their house and you know, we would talk to Candy and and her boy. Yeah. And wasn't there wasn't there a dog that that like was in love with Spot, but he was afraid of? Well, there was a um, a chocolate lab puppy. Oh, okay. At a house that we would walk past, <laughs> and the puppy would flip out whenever Spot walked by. But when the puppy grew up, was a full grown chocolate oh, lab that's right. with yes. a much deeper voice. Spot was kind of intimidated. <laughs> But he was a brave. He was a brave little guy because he protected his women. He oh, was, you mean from you? Yes. Yeah. There is a picture of the moment that I first met Spot too, and he's very bravely backing away from me with his fur sticking up, howling. Yep. And as I approached, he kept backing up. Yep. That's how he protected people. Well, he eventually did warm up to you after several years. After several years, yeah. Yeah, how many times were you and I sitting on the couch together and he would give us this death stare from the other couch? Yep. Or that time I I just gave your mom a quick hug once and he did not like that. Oh, my goodness. No. No, I mean, yeah, he didn't want anybody honing in on his girl. Nope. But there was one time that he... Just the best. I mean, one of those like puppies are wonderful moments. And there are many. When my father, my father took sick very suddenly. I mean, it turns out he had been sick for some time, but he never wanted me to know because he didn't want me to worry because there's nothing that could have been done. And I respect his his decision to do that. But still, it was a huge shock to take at the time. And. Spot was 
was already at uh, the kennel because I had taken a few days off earlier that week because my mother was away and my boyfriend had come down from New York and stayed with me and we did some stuff together. In fact, he was still staying at my house. And um, so Spot, Spot was at uh, the kennel and I called them up and said, "There's because I think I was going to pick him up either that day or the next day. And I said, there, you know, we had a family emergency and he's going to need to stay a few more days. And they were fine with that. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'll come down tomorrow and just drop off some more food for him. So I went and there was a girl who worked at the front desk, very sweet girl. She said, would you like to see him for a few minutes? And I don't remember if I had told them that it was my father who was sick or I, I don't know. But, but I think she probably could just tell that things were not good. Yeah. So I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him. So she brought Spot out to their front area and he jumped up on the bench next to me and snuggled up very close to me. So I hugged him and I started to cry onto his fur and he licked the tears off my face. Mm -hmm. He had never done that before and didn't do it since. But it's he. I think he knew that things were not good, and I really needed him at that moment. Yeah. Dogs are good like that. Yeah, and uh, well, then there's that other time that I wasn't well, and oh, was that uh, what, that really hot July? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was we July gone, of 1999, July Fourth weekend. Yeah, we had gone to next town over to see the fireworks on the beach, and when we came, when we walked back to our house one of our neighbors was sitting on the downstairs porch and told us the power is out. Like we didn't realize the power was out because the street lights were still on. So it wasn't pitch black or anything. But, and we, I guess Ooh, we- Southwest plane. I guess we hadn't noticed walking past other houses that they were dark because a lot of people were out doing 4th of July stuff. But anyway, there was no power in our house and it was really 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 hot out it was nasty even after you know even well after dark it was still probably you know in the 80s and i had a really nasty headache and i you know all i wanted to do was go into the house and go into the air conditioning and cool off because i knew that would make me feel better we couldn't do that so we uh called up my mother and she had power. You know, I said, do you have power? She's like, yeah. And I said, we're coming over for a little while because I just really needed to take care of myself. So here I was, just like hot and sweaty, nasty, pounding headache. I go in the house and I lay down on the couch. And Spot decided that the thing to do would be to jump up on me and sit on my head with his hot, furry body. And we should mention that he weighed 50 pounds at the time. Yeah, at the time, he was a real chunk. So... Yeah, we found out he was diabetic, and then he lost weight after that. So, so there's, you know, this hot, fat dog sitting on my head, and it's not what I needed at the moment, but the thing is, I... It did make me laugh. And, and your headache is gone, isn't it? Well, I mean, the headache went away, because those kinds of headaches that I get... If something kind of breaks the tension, it helps a lot. So just 
laughing at him being ridiculous did help alleviate things fairly quickly and probably also just being in the coolness you know I did feel better pretty fast but still the fact that he did that but at other times if I wasn't feeling well he would stay very close by to me he would yeah he would sit on the floor next to the couch or next to the bed and kind of like he was standing guard yeah so like the time he was standing guard when your hand was dangling and he decided to grab it and what did he do you, you like, yeah i saw that your like hand you were sitting this. on the couch i don't remember if it was one of those times you weren't feeling well but you were sitting on the couch he was i don't remember if he was playing with a toy or if he was just kind of chilling but he saw your hand he tilted his head and i think i heard him say hmm and then he just jumped and grabbed your hand with his eyes like ow and yeah that's what spot would do yeah Oh, and speaking of him being diabetic... Um, oh, I think I know where this is going. Yeah. So, him being diabetic meant he needed insulin shots twice a day. I mean, keep in mind, this was a long time ago, so it's the, it, the insulin really wasn't maybe like $20 a month or something like that. I mean, it wasn't anything that we couldn't handle. Unlike. And that was without insurance, too. Well, yeah, yeah. Really, the, the biggest expense was that he had to be on a prescription diet, which he didn't like, so we had to often augment his prescription diet with some dabs of baby food or Benefol to get him to eat. But anyway, when, we, you know, when he was diagnosed and we found out you know, what the treatment was going to have to be, the vet had us come in and showed us how to uh, load the syringe because it was given with syringes. And you know, he filled a syringe with uh, some saline and gave Spot the shot, which you know, Spot Spot was always good with any kind of needle at the vet. You know, any vaccinations and things. He was a very good boy about that. So. Yeah, it didn't even flinch. So, yeah, so the doctor gave him the, the shot, and he was perfect. And then he refills the syringe and said, okay, now you try. So he hands me the syringe. I hadn't even done anything yet. And Spot collapses and starts shaking and giving me, like, this big wide-eyed look. I'm like, you know, stop it. You know, stop giving me guilt and grief. But after that, it was okay. Yeah. And he even let me give him shots, too. Well, actually, he did eventually become a pain in the ass with that. Like, if I get the syringe out, he'd be like, oh, crap. And he would hide under the table or something. But, <laughs> but I mean, he he lived for about eight years with the uh, with diabetes. And, I mean, yeah. he was a pretty, pretty healthy he, dog. He was pretty healthy, that. yeah. Oh, but then there was the time that he needed surgery oh good grief that's right that was before my time but yeah he was not eating not drinking couldn't get comfortable lying down so we took him to the vet and they did x-rays and they said there's some kind of blockage but we can't tell what it is so we're gonna have to operate and it was a knee-high pantyhose which I didn't wear. My mother wore those, so she was very upset that you know, he had eaten one of those and that it got all caught up and needed surgery, and then he got a secondary infection. Ugh. So it was a pretty big ordeal. 
and um, you know he was at the vet for a couple days and then we had to take him back to get the end the infection cleared up but he was young so yeah he was like three years old then so I mean he was able to bounce back pretty quickly but then maybe it was like two well yeah you had already we, we'd already out. been a thing yeah. yeah and my mother calls all upset because I guess like after this incident she was very careful with her stockings and she couldn't account for one of them and she freaked out thinking spot ate another one so we called the doctor and they said uh, try to induce vomiting so we went to Walgreens and got some peroxide because that's what you do like that's kind of Ipecac for a dog five tablespoons I think was the dose so my mother, I think, had just started making her dinner and had some chopped meat, so she cooked some of that without any seasonings, put that aside, because they said mix it in with some food. So we mixed it with the chopped meat, and Spot ate it, and we kept him in the kitchen so that he wouldn't puke all over the carpet. And he's looking at us. We're looking at him. He's looking at us. We're he, looking at him. He doesn't him. know why the hell we're looking at him. And, you know, because we're standing there waiting for the dog to puke. And he'd walk up to one of us. We'd back away. And he's like, what are you people on? And I remember your mom kept saying, come on, Ralph, Ralph. So finally we hear this, like, coming from him. And, like, the whole, you know, everything he had eaten in the last week came out with no pantyhose. So we went through all that for nothing. <laughs> the dog was fine. Yep. So, so that was our exciting. You know, like, what'd you do last night? Oh, we stood around and watched for, waited for the dog to hey, puke. That, that conversation actually happened because that was I called my parents just to keep up with them. You know, let, let them know how their long-distance son was doing. Hey, what, what, did, what did you do? Oh, yeah. But, oh, and then there was the time that he didn't recognize me. I was mowing your mother's lawn. When I mow a lawn, I wear goggles. I've had way too many times when, like, a pebble or something flew up and hit me right between the eyes. So it's like, yeah, I'm wearing goggles. So I put on some goggles. I mowed the lawn. I came back in. I still had the goggles on. And your dog greeted me like he did the very first time he met me. He was backing away. He was rooing at me. The hair was sticking up on his back. And I was like, Spot, what the hell's wrong with you? he heard me he smelled me and I I just happened to take off the goggles and he looks at me as if to say oh and then he shut up and he was like oh it's just you it's like really (laughs) good lord yeah yeah that was spot is there anything else that were worth mentioning about so he was a big guy too I mean we say little but he was an unusually tall well yeah I mean yeah don't get worried if you hear about him being 50 pounds because he was a larger, in fact, I think he must have had some foxhound or harrier in him because he had very long legs. And, yeah. I mean, he was he was much bigger than, like, the beagles you see in the Westminster show. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was very tall. And when we would watch the Westminster show, we'd see, you know, the, the other types of tricolored hound say yeah spot looks more like that than the beagles so i think he did he must have had some especially since he came from hunting stock he may have had more of those larger dogs so i mean 50 pounds i mean even like after he was 
diabetic and put on a diet dog food, uh, his, his weight was usually around between 30 and 35. So he was, he was bigger than what you usually expect a beagle to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the other thing that, that I should have mentioned, uh, that time that I think was one of the greatest moments of your mother's life. What? When just for the hell of it, I decided to pick Spot up. Oh. And as he was going up, as I was lifting him up, a sound came out of his butt. Like, <laughs> he farted the entire way up, and your mother just almost fell over in hysterics when that happened. Yeah, he was he was a noisy farter. Yeah. And he was also in love with his own butt. Oh, he was. I always yeah. said if he had a wallet, he would carry a photo of his butt. In yeah. Yeah, he he was around. He had he was twelve years old when when he like crossed the bridge. I think was he. Yeah, he he went he went in his sleep in. Uh, it was right after he turned twelve because it was uh, September of nineteen ninety seven. We had moved to Chicago by then, mm-hmm. and we had talked about like getting our own dog, but you didn't want to do that when Spot was still around because you, know, you just didn't feel right. Well, that and also. I didn't have, I didn't, well, kind of like why I didn't get a beagle oh, that's before true, Spot. Yeah. I didn't have a job yet. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to get a dog when we didn't have, you know, when things, like, we wanted to wait until things were a little more stable yeah. with us. Yeah, and then a few months later, you got your current job, and we decided, hey, it's time to, it's time to look for a beagle when the summer happened, and, uh. That's when we got Ruthie. She she was a wonderful little girl. I, I mentioned her before. She died in November, right after Thanksgiving 2018. And it was, as, as terrible as that was, it was still kind of positive because there was so much that was, I don't want to say right, but just... Like, well, it's like how she went was probably the most... If we had to say how we would want her to go, knowing that you know it's inevitable oh yeah it she went very fast i mean i think i'm think she, pretty sure she just had a heart attack because she yelped and went limp and it was when she was with us yeah we were both home we were all together so it's not like one of us had to deal with it alone yeah we had just gotten home too and i took her outside and she came back in yeah. and she was all excited and oh boy oh boy oh boy so she was happy and you know it's it's not like it it's not like she went when we weren't home and came home and found her. Yeah. And we didn't have to put her down. Like she she was a healthy girl her whole life, really, at least her entire life with us. Yeah, and I mean we took her to the emergency vet and they could not have been nicer. Yeah. You know, just more uh, considerate and uh, they said, you know, do you want to see her?" So they cleaned her up and wrapped her in some towels and rolled her in on a little cart so that we could just basically say I mean it's it's funny because we knew she was gone but it's yet we still wanted to be with her body for a few more minutes and you know they came in and told us about you know the different options and but said, you know, take all the time you need. I mean, they were very respectful. And what what really kind of got me to is, I think this is a, just a wonderful thing that in the folder that had, you know, they put in a folder with the information about ashes and, and all of that stuff. 
but they also had some a paper with different contact information for uh, a couple counselors in the area that specialize yeah. in grieving pet owners and um, some support groups and people who do just like over the phone counseling and I just thought that was that was a really wonderful thing to just acknowledge that this is hard. Oh, yeah. And I mean, at the time, it really brought out feelings from when my father had died. Just uh, a lot of the same emotions and... Really, this many people were flying out this late at night? And, you know, I thought that was... And that just kind of shows how one you know one thing that we're definitely advancing in as a society is acknowledging the need for mental health oh yeah and counseling services but i mean with you know i think what helped me too is just knowing that i had no regrets because yeah we had spent so much time with her and loved her and i don't think we could have given her a better life for the yeah the more than 10 years that we had her yeah yeah, that was a great ten years too, like every second of it. And I, I, and I just, I just remember like the like when we first we first met her when we we adopted her from an agency called Brew, a well, Beagle, not an agency, well, it's a, whatever they call it, a rescue. A, yeah, a Brew a Beagle Rescue Education and Welfare. Yeah, you saw her picture on the Brew site. Well, yeah, on the on the Brew site they have little profiles of each of their adoptable dogs. And the profiles are written by whoever the foster parent is. And yeah. they, they have little icons with, um, so just kind of at a quick glance, you can know, is the dog good with kids? Does, can, is the dog okay if there's a cat in the house? Or is the dog housebroken? You know, these kinds of things. And Ruthie's profile had the icon for couch potato. <laughs> so that was kind of a first... That was kind of the first thing, because Spot was a very high-energy dog. Yeah. And I really wanted something more calm, especially since we were living in an apartment. Yeah, you said you wanted a lazy damn dog. That was the the exact phrase. Because this was now the dog that we were getting on our... Like, the first time we were having a dog that was totally going to be ours in our home. Because with Spot, once I moved into an apartment, he still stayed with my mother, partially because... She wanted to keep him, and also the area I was living in, it was very difficult to find an apartment that accepted pets. Not very, Jersey Shore, the Jersey Shore is not very pet friendly yeah. when it comes to apartments. Yeah, Chicago though, it's yeah. it's hard to find a place that's not pet friendly. So I didn't want a dog that was going to be running around ruining his head off. And the profile had quoted from uh, the song with a little help from my friends so that kind of got to me and because Ruthie had been um, taken from a shelter in downstate Illinois and even though we didn't know this for sure but in the spring of 2008 there had been torrential rains and heavy flooding in southern Illinois and Iowa so because Ruthie was um when she was found, she was in good health, except for, you know, a lot of fleas and ticks, and hadn't been spayed. But no evidence of any other injuries or, you know, any 
anything else amiss. She had arthritis, but that was it. Yeah, but... And because she was so good with people, my guess is that she had maybe just lived on a farm and got swept up in some, some maybe some floods or something and got misplaced and they couldn't find her people. Yeah. So she ended up with us. And, and she was about four years old at the time. Well, the, the estimate was like three to four based yeah. on her teeth. So I contacted Brew when I, because I saw her picture and said, that's my dog. Just something about her. I was like, that's, that's the one for me. So we contacted Brew, filled out the application, and we were told she was going to be at an adoption event at a PetSmart way up in uh, McHenry County by the Wisconsin border. So about, what, about two hours yeah. from us? Hour and a half, something like that. So we yeah. drove, we drove up to that PetSmart and... You know, I said I was there to meet Ruth Ann, and they brought her over because they were outside the store. They had a whole bunch of beagles. And they had a tent set up and everything. And um, I sat down on the ground, and she came over and sat herself on my lap. Like, not in a puppy way, more like, I claimed this property kind of a way. Well, yeah, like, you know, like she planted her little flag and said, I'll take this one. <laughs> and what's funny is this, you think this organization is like, these are people who know beagles, but when like customers would be walking up to the store and the beagles would start barking their heads off and the people would yell, no bark. I mean, as really? If, as if that ever did anything ever. Hey, Ruthie didn't say a word no, though. She was calling, she was... No, because Ruthie, Ruthie was sitting on my lap looking at the barking dogs as if to say, idiots. Yeah, they would actually come over to her and say, come on, come and bark with us. She's, And she just barked at them. Yeah, she, she would out of bark my at them to make them go away. Oh, yeah, and so they, they figured, oh, you know what? I got a great idea. Let's tie these beagles to these tables here. They were like tables that you play bingo on, those folding tables. So, yeah, they tied, so they tied their leashes to the tables. They're like, this will keep them in place. So what happened? Well, the table ended up halfway across the parking lot yeah. by a whole bunch of beagles. Yeah. So, but anyway, we, um, you know, we, we said we wanted Ruthie, but we still needed to have a home visit. Oh, yes. So a brew volunteer came over with her beagle named Louie. Yep. And, <laughs> well, you tell this part because you oh. like this part. Yeah, so we're just sitting there chatting, and Louis just kind of walking around. I remember he was sniffing around in the kitchen, and a bag of marshmallows fell down, and it confused him. I mean, most beagles would probably attack the thing and just eat all the marshmallows, but he was like, the hell is this thing? But yeah, he was just traipsing around the apartment while we were talking to, I don't. I wish I could remember her name, but I don't remember oh, yeah, her name. I remember the dog's name, but not the person's name. Yeah, just like everybody else in our building. Jeez. We know the dog's names. We don't know the people's names for the most part, but... And we're talking, and she said, hey, where's Louie? Because he, he hadn't been seen for a while. So I look around, and Louie was in our bedroom. He was on our bed, just kind of walking around and just looking. And he sees me, and he had this look on his face and said, oh, shit. And then he sprinted off the bed and into the living room. Yep. And the lady said, was he on the bed? I said, yeah. She said, he knows he's not supposed to be on the bed. <laughs> yeah, um... I mean, they mainly, the volunteer visit is mainly 
to first of all make sure that everybody who lives there oh yeah is yeah. aware of the dog and cool with it and to also just make sure that Make sure, like, the doors latch securely. That Basically, the apartment is Beagle compliant, yeah, really. and that you don't have a fence, you know, a yard that isn't fenced and things like that. So, we got the okay, and we met his foster at the PetSmart the following... Um, well, Ruthie's foster. Ruthie's foster the following Saturday uh, to bring her home, and it was wonderful. It was... 10 years of wonderful. Yeah. yeah, every second of it. She And and the thing is, it, I was so not used to that to to Ruthie though because I was so used to a beagle like spot. Like the first thing when we saw Ruthie, she was just a little she was a little dog. I was like, "Oh, I was expecting someone like taller." Well, Ruthie Ruthie was more a bagel. She was part beagle, part basset because she had she had the basset type of front legs that kind of bow in a little bit and with large paws. Not quite as big as a basset. Oh, no, no. But this, like if you put her next to a basset, you could see there's there's a resemblance there. Yeah, and she, and her, and she had a slightly longer body than most beagles. Yeah, she, she did have a long body. And she and communicated in a series of grunts and snorts, which is a basset thing. Yeah, she wasn't didn't have the usual beagle bay or anything and her ears were a little bit longer yeah so it's like she had basset qualities but was definitely a beagle as well so yeah and i wasn't well the thing is like all the beagles there that day were small yeah like it's like oh it's, it's the, i guess this is what beagles are supposed to look like yeah. but when we when we got ruthie i mean i was going on my experience with spot and we had kept spot created pretty much his whole life i mean it's what we did when he was a puppy because the advice that i read at the time said you know crate training was ideal and considering you know my mother and i worked so having him crated at least we knew he wasn't going to destroy the house during the day yeah and it was easier to housebreak him and i mean he he was good with it i mean oh yeah i mean crate training him was not hard at all and it's what he was comfortable with. So I thought that's just what you were supposed to do. Yeah, like we, if we weren't home, we'd put Rudy, Ruthie in the crate. And I mean, again, when, you, when, you, when you're working with a puppy and that's what you do from the time that they're little, they learn and get used to it and kind of the denning instinct kicks in. But Ruthie was a three to four year old dog and we had no idea what her life was like before yeah, we got her. Nobody knew. And if she was the Iowa farm dog that I think she was, she was probably never crated. So we put her in a crate the first time we left her alone. And we come home. We weren't out that long. We come home and she was still in the crate. But the crate, the the tray that goes on the bottom of the crate was on the other side of the kitchen. Well, the thing is, the, the tray was where the crate was when we left her, and the crate and the beagle yeah. were now, like, six feet behind it, where, where it used to be. And we're she, like, what the hell was and this? she was mad as a hornet, too. Yep. So it's like, okay. So then the next time we went out, put her in the crate, 
What did, what did we find when we came home? We found that there was no beagle in the crate, and the back of the crate was caved in. So we're looking all around for Ruthie, and we found her on our bed snoring. Yeah. <laughs> so she had somehow maneuvered herself out of the crate. So I said, you know what? All right, you have spoken. Yeah, no we, more crate. <laughs> yeah, we looked around. There, were, there wasn't any sign of destruction or yeah. defacement of with dog pee or anything. So I was like, so, it's fine, you know? I mean, I didn't want her hurting herself. I was like, well, let's try leaving you out of the crate when we go out. And yeah, I mean, the whole time we had Ruthie, the only thing she ever destroyed was maybe paper towels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she never got into anything, ripped yeah. anything up. She did not have Spot's destructive tendencies. No, yeah, whatsoever. I was so not used to that. She was she was a lot more coordinated than Spot too, because Spot couldn't scratch himself properly. No, Spot would try to scratch his ear and would just end up waving his foot in the air. But yeah, Ruthie, she, could, she Ruthie could scratch herself. And uh, Spot also couldn't walk on his two legs properly for very long. Ruthie could. Oh yeah, yeah, Ruthie could do that. And she backflipped a couple of times too, although I don't think she intended to. Yeah, she was she, so excited about getting her food that she would. We can we keep her food in a separate room, locked up, and we'd fill up the bowl and bring it to the kitchen. And she'd dance around the following with the with the bowl. And if it were me, she would yell at me. She'd go. <laughs> she didn't yell at you all that much when you fed her, but when I yeah. fed her, forget it. Yeah. But and and she was following me down the hall, and she was so excited that she just jumped up and. And did a backflip and went thud on her back. Yeah, it wasn't very greasy. And acted as if she meant to do that. And I told you about that, and you didn't believe me. Or I don't know, maybe you did, but you were... But she did it again in your presence. So I was glad that you were there to see that. I was, I was glad, too, because that was quite a sight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the other thing, like, when in the first days we had her, I was trying to give her a little bit of training, like, see if I could get her to... To shake hands and... Training, you're so cute. Oh, please. <laughs> and sit and everything. And I found that she pretty much knew those... Cause she knew how to sit on command. And 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 I just said, can you speak? And she said, Ruff. <laughs> Really? You can speak? Ruff. Like, the way... I mean, dog, I found that dogs... Not, it wasn't just with Ruthie, but every other dog I knew who could speak... It was like starting a lawnmower. You had to keep pulling the, the cord <laughs> before you get a full speak. And eventually she'd be like, Whoa! And I said, oh, my God, you can you can actually speak on command. And I remember I told you. And you said, I don't believe you. I said, okay, try it. And so you're sitting there with Ruthie, and you said, Ruthie, speak. And she just gave you this strange look. And you said, come on, speak. And she tilted her head as if to say, what is this speak you're talking of? <laughs> And you tried to get her to speak, and she would not make a sound. And you left the room. And then I said, Ruthie, why won't you speak? Woo! I said, oh, my God, really? It was like Michigan J. Frog in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> like, everybody do the Michigan Frog. Just like that. Yep. So you <laughs> damn dog. Yep. Yeah, she, she didn't destroy things, but there were a couple food incidents. Like the time that you left Chinese food in her reach. Well, yeah, because I had to open the door for you because you didn't have any hands free. So I had to hurry up and put my food down and go get the door. And meanwhile, she's helping herself to your seafood soup. 
Yeah, I go in there and I see that she has her snoot in the soup, and I was like, Ruthie! <laughs> and she very, very slowly backed away from the soup. With the soup dripping the soup from her dripping chin. from her from her little snoot. Well, wasn't there another time you had to answer the phone or something? She took an egg roll, right? There was a time when the phone rang. It was when we still had a landline, so I had to get up and go get the phone. It was it was a wireless phone, but it was still in the docking cradle, so I had to go get it. I didn't realize that I had it in the dog's reach, the the egg roll in the dog's reach. So, yep, she helped herself to my egg roll. So, yeah, Ruthie liked Chinese food. And she also liked pizza crust. Oh, that's right. We had... Because uh, I, left, I left some within her reach because yep. I didn't take my plate out to the kitchen. Yeah, she liked the Giordano's deep dish crust. But then there was the time... That she could have had an entire roast turkey breast. Oh to my god, yeah. Because I had roasted a turkey breast and I put it out on the counter to cool before carving it. And I went out to the living room and we heard a thud and then click, 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 click of dog toenails. And I went in the kitchen and the turkey breast was on the floor. And I mean, it was fine because it just landed on the skin side. So, you know, I could just take the skin off. I mean, but I think I had had the cutting. I think I put the turkey breast on a cutting board, which was on top of a dish towel. And she must have tugged the dish towel and pulled the cutting board off the counter. But the thing is, she could have, I mean, the living room was on the other end of the apartment. So... So she could have had that turkey breast all to herself and eaten her way halfway through it before we even knew. But, but no, she came running into the living room with her tail between her legs. Because it must have scared her. ears turned to him. It must have scared her. She's like, nothing, her. nothing, nothing. So, yeah, like, she oh must have gotten a letter from the head beagle about that or yeah. something. Yeah, oh my God, worst bumpus hound ever. But there was a time... Then I'm sure she was was written up in the Journal of American Beagling for great achievement. Oh, yes. There were two separate occasions that she got two breakfasts. One time was, it was in the summer, and you had gone, you had gone to work, and I, I was still asleep. Yeah, you were off because you're a teacher. Um. And you left a note saying that, or you texted me saying that her... Physiological needs have been met and because i'm not a morning person i read that as psychological thinking that you know you had scritched her or hugged her or something before you left but that she still needed to be fed i meant quite the opposite so i got up and gave her breakfast and of course she didn't tell me oh, no. that she had already eaten. Well no, I had to say physiological needs instead of just her needs have been met because if I know that you would have sent a, a note back saying something like, Oh well did you give her all kinds of love and, and affection and all this and that and and well, the thing know, is, like even if I did she'd still need more. Okay, so I Okay, but you could have just said, I fed the dog. You could have just said that. Okay. Well, I also took her outside, and okay. she did her thing. you could have said, I fed the dog and took her outside. You could have just said that. Yeah, but that was before texting was free, and I had to keep my characters anyway, down. so there was that time, and then I think it was the same summer. I think it was, That too. we were at my mother's house, 
like we had gone out to because we there were several summers that we had the Ruthie road trip where we would go through a lot of time to so that my dog could sleep on a red couch instead of a purple one yeah she so, we would drive to New Jersey with Ruthie so my mother at the time was still working and I guess Ruthie had gotten up when she was up so my mother fed her before she left for work and she had left a note but instead of leaving it on the counter where I would have seen it as soon as I walked into the kitchen she put the note on top of the microwave which I think is where we were where we had Ruthie's food and stuff she put the note where I did not see it so by the time I saw it I had already put down another meal for Ruthie I had and of course, again, Ruthie did not say anything about... Well, no, she's not going to say, oh, no, thanks, I already ate. Yeah, and that was when we were at my mother's house. For some reason, now Ruthie would sleep with us in our bed in what was my old bedroom. But if, if we were out, I guess, you know, she wanted to be on the bed, like the largest bed in the house. I don't know, because she would go into my mother's room... Well, your mother's door was closed. Her yeah, bedroom but, door was closed. Yeah, but the bedroom door, uh, it didn't latch right. So like, either, yeah. if the door was shut, it could just be pushed open. Yeah, and she'd push the door so open. So she'd push the door open and jump up on my mother's bed and mess up all the throw pillows. Because you know, my mother's like a lot of women and has a whole ton of throw pillows on her bed. So Ruthie would mess up her pillows to make a nest and one time she even stuck her head through the blinds to look outside. So the blinds were all messed up. I mean, they weren't broken or anything, but it's like, she's like, geez, dog, make yourself at home. <laughs> Ruth, I mean, Ruthie loved food, but she really, well, okay, before we go on, we do need to mention the pill. Oh, good grief, yeah. So Ruthie was not a morning dog. Nope. Until she had um, elevated liver en- enzymes, whatever that is. I don't even know what that means. Basically meant that her numbers f- from her liver tests were coming back high. Yeah, so she had elevated liver enzymes and needed to be put on a couple different medications. And one of them had to be given to her an hour before breakfast. And it was a pretty large pill, so she could, I mean, she could have a tiny bit of food to take that pill with. So at first we used just like a little piece of a, like a craft Singles because, you know, you could just mush that around yeah. the pill. And then later on I found you could buy the um, pill pockets, which are, you know, something meant for dogs and yeah. a little bit healthier for them. That, that you could just stick the pill inside and, you know, it worked a lot better. But Ruthie realized that even though this is just a little dab of food, it was still food. It was still food, yeah. That, and it was like an extra treat outside of her breakfast. So she would get this. I mean, usually um, I have to get up at 5 for work. So like on school days, I would give it to her right when I got up. And then, you know, by the time you got up, the hour passed and she could have her breakfast yeah so 
she went from being a nice lazy morning dog to a dog that would get up at first light demanding her little treat and some day some days she would wake up as early as four yep. and jump out of bed expecting her treat and I would actually go and pick her up and put her back on the bed and tell her to go back to sleep because she's not getting it now. Yeah, that, yeah, well, there were a couple times you actually got up on a, and gave it to her. It's like, no, we don't want her getting in this habit and no. thinking that she can be, you know, get her treat earlier. I just want to go back to sleep and without the hassle because I'm a, I'm a light sleeper. I. I wake up with the slightest movement, so when she'd get out of bed, I felt it. <laughs> Ruthie, she was a heavy sleeper, big time, and she'd snore really loud. She snored very loud. She would wake me up with her snoring. <laughs> but yeah, like there were t- like I sometimes it was hard to wake her up because she loves her sleep. Mm, but she also loved people. She oh yes, she did. Ruthie loved people. Yep. All sizes, shapes, colors, genders. Everything. I never saw her once have any apprehension against any person ever. And I believe that is because she saw people as a potential source of food. Other dogs were not going to feed her, but people could feed her. Yeah, she usually didn't like other dogs. Yeah, like, uh, how did she act that time we saw Leslie? Well, oh yeah, for one thing, yeah. Leslie is, she, she was our neighbor. She lived in the building next door to us. She since moved a few blocks away but she lived in the building next door she had her own beagle and that's kind of how we got to know her and she actually has a dog walking service and so we hired her to take ruthie outside her and her she either she or one of her assistants would take her outside if we were gone for a long time so there was one time we took her out for her nighttime walk and we happened to see leslie and Ruthie just completely lost her shit. She's like, oh my God, it's you. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Because she thought she was getting fed. Yeah, because Leslie equals supper. Yep. <laughs> but I think outside of us, the person she loved most was Juan. I got one better for you. What? James. Oh. Yeah, there was, in the apartment below us for for a couple of years... There were these three guys from DePaul University. One of these guys, his name was James. Ruthie had a massive puppy crush on James. You could see little cartoon hearts, like, just suddenly generate and pop whenever, like, she, whenever she saw James. But one day, James did the unforgivable. He came home with a Siberian husky named Juno. Ruthie did not want anything to do with Juno. She hated her guts. And she was not too thrilled with James for che- for cheating on her. There was one time when I took Ruthie out for, I think, her supper time walk. We got, to, we got to the second floor, and James happened to be outside with Juno. And James bent over to to give Ruthie some affection, and she turned her back on him and walked five feet away. And it was like, oh boy. I said, yeah, she's not too happy with you with uh, Juno being around. But I I took her downstairs, she did her thing, we went back upstairs, and James was outside, but Juno was not. Juno was back in the house. This time, she was all puppy with James. She was like, oh boy, oh boy, you're here, you're here. 
but Juan, our maintenance guy, lives on the first floor. He loved Ruthie. Yep. Oh my God. He loved her so much. And I don't know what she felt about him. Oh, he, I mean, Ruthie always received affection. Oh yeah. And she would always, like, she, she liked him because she would wag her tail and... Well, I remember once when he had to he had to go into our apartment during the day when we were both at work, I think to fix something, and he called me, and he he said, "I love your dog." <laughs> well, everybody loved Ruthie. I mean, anybody who met her loved her. Oh yeah. Or people who didn't even like uh, one of my uh, colleagues at work. Um, I don't know if it's, she can't have, I, I don't know if she has an allergy or if her husband. I mean, she loves dogs, but she can't have one. And she would always want to see pictures of Ruthie. And when we went on strike in 2012, we all took turns bringing our dogs to the strike. And I brought Ruthie one day. And that was the one day Anita didn't come. So she missed meeting Ruthie. But everybody loved Ruthie. Even my mother. My mother doesn't love anybody. (laughs) (laughs) But she she was such a good girl. She was a little sweetheart. uh, Yeah. She was a jealous girl, though. She was jealous. Like, she didn't like it when when we acknowledged other dogs. Oh, God. Especially, well... Midwest Brew, the the organization from where we got Ruthie. They have an annual event in the suburbs called Beagle Fest. Every May on a Saturday, there's a in a big dog park in Displainsville. It's is it Displains? Yeah. No, park Ridge. Park Ridge, that's right, yeah. They have a big gathering where people bring their beagles and beagles run around off leash and stuff. And one year, there was this young couple who brought a baby beagle named Skittles. Aww. And Skittles was a three-year... Uh, oh, three-month-old little girl. And she was, like, the little tiny dog trying to keep up with all the with all the big dogs and their little chases and everything. And she was just the cutest little thing in the world. Now, mind you, we did not make any contact whatsoever with Skittles. But we were admiring her. We were looking at her. And... Ruthie made note of that. She noticed that we were paying attention to another dog. And the next morning, we paid dearly for that, didn't we? I thought it was that night. No, no, it was the next morning. Oh, okay. Yeah, she peed on our bed. She left a big puddle on the bed. When we got the the bed that we currently have, it was too tall for Ruthie, so we got an ottoman so she could boost herself onto the bed. So she hopped down on the ottoman and just looked at us with this very... You, okay, usually when she went in the house, like if it was an accident, she would go and hide under the, the coffee table in the living room because she was, she was potty trained, but she would have an accident now and then, and she would feel bad. She did not feel the least bit bad about this. She stayed right there and just looked right at us as if to say, yeah, I know what I did. <laughs> and you just looked at me and said, we deserved that. Yep. Or like the time when, uh, I think, like, there was something on TV, like, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, my God, yes. Oprah Winfrey had adopted a puppy from a rescue and was really, you know, uh, saying 
doing a lot to promote rescues and adoptions over buying from a breeder and things like that. And it was a really sweet little puppy. And, and I mean, I'm not an Oprah fan at all, but it was... It wasn't her show. It was She was being interviewed yeah. on someone else's and, show. Um, so this beautiful little pup, I go, oh, what a precious little puppy. And Ruthie had been sleeping on the couch. Her head shot up and she gave me the dirtiest look. Oh, she was mad. I was like, oh, yeah. And she was so lazy. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yes, she was lazy. Yeah. yeah, she actually got injured because of her own laziness. Yeah, I mean, they weren't kidding when they told us she was a couch potato because her default activity was sleeping. That's what she did most of the day. I mean, she would play with a toy now and then, but usually she'd just hop up on the couch or on the bed and just sleep. And she was always up for a walk. Oh, oh but, yeah, she loved going for walks. She but did, but... she, uh, we boarded her at... The place we still use and you know really great place and um, it was her first time there we boarded her because we were going to um, New Buffalo Michigan which we had never been you know we had been wanting to check it out and we decided to just go for an overnight stay to just to see if we liked the area which we did and we still oh, yeah. go there every year and um, so we're getting ready to get on the road to come back to Chicago when the place calls us and said that uh, they had to take her to the vet because she had been lounging watching two dogs wrestle and the two dogs fell on her and hurt her leg. Yeah, they thought that the leg was broken. It turned out it wasn't. It was just a sprain. Yeah. But, we, but yeah, because she was too lazy to move. So we go to... They had taken her to their emergency vet, which is our regular vet. So, you know, we already knew the place. And she was in, uh, they brought her, brought us into the hospital area. And she was in a, in a crate, in a cage there. And obviously on heavy medication. She was so doped up. But she struggled to sit up because she wanted to be brave for us. Oh, she was so sweet. Yep. But she had to be carried. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I had to carry her up and down the stairs while she recovered. And so I'm cradling her, like trying not to trying not to touch her injured leg. But there she is being carried up and down the stairs with this little smirk on her face. Mm-hmm. She's like, yep, yep, I win this. So, yeah, she recovered. Mm-hmm. And we were about to, uh, in fact, we were going on a, on a road trip again later on. And as we were packing up and getting ready to leave and then take her over to, uh, uh, this was a, we took her to uh, another another place we used from time to time. And um, I noticed she started limping again. This was a couple of weeks later, like after she had already been running around and stuff. So I was like, oh, crap. So we brought her over. We told the, we told the lady in charge what happened. We said, you know, hey, we took her over to a Bark Bark Club. And she was injured a couple of weeks ago, but she's we thought she recovered. But this morning, she started limping again. So you might want to watch out for that. So, yeah. And uh, so we took our little trip. And when we got back, we picked up Ruthie. And she said, oh, by the way, let me tell you about your injured dog. <laughs> she said... 
she didn't I never saw her limp at all and in fact when it was time for her to eat she was hopping around like a little kangaroo so I was like you damn dog she probably she probably just wanted to be carried again <laughs> good lord mm. she was my best puppy friend Aww. Because when I would come home from school, she usually would be sleeping on our bed. And I would, like, lie down on the bed. And she would kind of crawl over to me across the mattress and snuggle up to me. And she would tell me everything. And I would rub her belly and snuggle with her. And that was just such a wonderful thing to come home to. She did that literally to the day she died. Yep. Yeah, one thing you, I know you wanted to talk about, like when she got older and the way, and she wasn't really handling Bark Bark Club where we usually took her. She wasn't really handling it very well when she got older. And so Bark Bark Club recommended another place that we might want to try. And so we did, we did. There was another place. Stay. It was called Stay, a modern dog hotel or something. <laughs> and, uh, this was toward the end of her life, so I didn't really get a chance to get familiar with Stay. But one of the features of Stay was the dogs would be in their own rooms, if I, if I remember correctly. And Ruthie's room happened to have a webcam. So while we were away, you were, you, you were constantly like... I was stalking You were dog. stalking the dog. And for like a few dollars extra, you could get... 15 minutes of cuddle time per day. Mm-hmm. Like undivided your dog. attention. Undivided attention where someone would come in and cuddle your dog. It's like, okay, yeah, she needs to have that because she loves people. So I got to watch that. You got to see so that. Wonderful. Yeah, I we- saw that too. Like her tail was cut. Like a girl goes in there and so Ruthie walked right up to her and, and they just sat there cuddling and Ruthie's tail was just going all... Like, Ruthie's tail, when she would get really excited, it would spin in a circle. Mm-hmm. So the entire time, her tail was spinning in a circle. Yeah. And she was just soaking up the attention like nobody's business. And when we went to pick her up, when we got back home, uh, they told us that she had gotten actually more than the 15 minutes a day cuddle time because the manager there was a sucker for beagles. So he would give her time as well. So she got... Yeah, she got extra cuddle time for free. Yeah, I'm sure she did not mind. But that's how much Ruthie, like, people loved Ruthie, and Ruthie loved people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, our current puppy, like, people love her, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, uh, we, after Ruthie died, like, we went a while without a dog because, well, we didn't want to get another dog until the summer when Lisa was home all day. You know, so we could, you know, transition her nice and easily, get her whatever I mean yeah so our niece my brother well well, actually before you get into that is my school year ended in the middle of June so I started looking in the beginning of June just so if we saw something we were interested in we could start the application process so I I was looking at the brew midwest site like obsessively and you know looking at the profiles and like nothing really. Nothing you know, that fit. What I mean, we there could were provide. you know there were there were some dogs that looked good, but they were male. Like we really wanted a female. There were others that 
may have been good, but they were marked bad for an apartment yeah. or they had um, anxiety issues and really needed somebody who would be home all day. And, you know, just nothing seemed to really click. Yeah. And then I was checking a couple other, well, we were both checking with a couple other places and we're kind of running into just, you know, we would contact a place to find, you know, find out more information or express interest in a dog that we saw and we wouldn't get a call back or we get people who were just kind of clueless and yeah or, or just like that one you had contacted yeah. some place where they kept losing the application and, and it's it like just, and, and that dog was diabetic too it's like there's somebody here willing to adopt a, di- a diabetic dog yeah. and you're not really acting it on was, that it was just like we we're running into some weird just weird situations and yeah. getting kind of frustrated like because it's kind of like the clock was ticking that for we wouldn't want to get a dog and then I would have to go back to school like right away so you know we wanted to make sure we had a dog before say the beginning of August and it was like okay is this really gonna happen so we were getting a little frustrated and we took a trip to uh, up to Door County in Wisconsin for a couple days and while we were there uh, my niece sent me uh, a, uh, shared a face a video to my Facebook wall. And she tagged both of us. And it was a video from a rescue near where her mother lived. And I think her mother may have gotten a dog from them at some time. Because I had mentioned to her mother that we were looking. And because I know her mother is always on the lookout for another dog. So I was like, yeah. if you happen to see something good, let us know. So... And I remember Alana was telling us that she was looking out for us, too. So, my so, niece. So, yeah. Alana sent, shared this video of this little girl beagle at a rescue down outside Chicago in Plainfield. And it was just like, oh, my God. You know, that this cute little beagle with this cute little face that seemed to be, you know, very, very perky or you know, not skittish or scared yeah. or... Or, or anything and you know we had a lot of qualities that we were looking for mm-hmm. and so it's like okay you know this checks off a lot of boxes okay. so I went to their website and filled out their application and even though this was on like I think like a Sunday night or something it was definitely off hours like I got a reply pretty quickly from somebody from the rescue like it must go to somebody's personal email or whatever, and um, you know, she said if you're interested, you can come down to us. You know, told us like what hours they were open, and since we were both available, like when we got back from Wisconsin, we went down there the next day to meet Lola. Oh. And from the moment they brought her out, because they have like a a little pen in their building where you can have like space to meet with a dog and play with a dog when they brought Lola out yeah the second she trotted out it was like all right yeah let's she's she's ours I mean she put her paws on me and tried to push me over when she did and she totally (laughs) ignored me until they handed a treat to me and said here you go but she was just just a sweet cute little girl and I mean she was just everything we wanted yeah we we actually compiled a list of i think 30 questions that we'd have to ask to make sure that 
the dog would be right. And just the time we spent with her, we didn't have to ask most of them. I think yeah. there were like five left that we had to ask. Yeah. We were just checking off, okay, yeah, yep, she does this, she does that, and she doesn't seem to have anxiety if she's left alone. So we uh, signed the papers that day. <laughs> signed the papers that day and went back a few days later and brought her home. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, she's just the sweetest little girl. Yeah, I mean, she's, it's, I've said this many times, but she's not Ruthie, but there's so much about her that's very familiar. It's it's like having Ruthie again, but yeah, she's I mean, she doesn't have Ruthie's laziness, but she does like to lie around a lot. Oh yeah, she definitely appreciates. Well, she she like we have a not a love seat, but it's like a big chair with a bunch of pillows on it, and she likes to. I mean, Ruthie would always just make a nest of the pillows. Lola actually is like an interior decorator where she's got to move them around and sometimes she kicks some of the pillows off and throws them up in the air. And <laughs> Yeah, we, we have a two-minute video of her arranging pillows to her. And the very first thing you see is a pillow flying off the couch. Yep. Yeah, I mean, she's very deliberate with what she wants. Yeah. But she loves people also. Yep. She loves Juan, and Juan loves her. Because mm-hmm. he goes, hola, Lola. <laughs> yep. And she enjoys long walks. We take her on mm-hmm. long walks every day. She does like to approach other dogs. Ruthie did not. Ruthie didn't like other dogs. Yeah, we're kind of getting more used to to that, because with Ruthie, we were so used to just not even expecting her to play with another dog, but... You know, with Lola, we started taking her to the dog park. Because Ruthie had no use for dog parks. Yeah, we tried taking Ruthie to a dog park a couple of times, but Ruthie just socialized with the other people there. She didn't want anything yeah. to do with the dogs. But Lola will get into a good chase. Mm-hmm. She's a fast runner, too. But it's just, it's it's been interesting to learn about Lola and what she, you know, what she likes and doesn't like and kind of how she operates and yeah because we we learned a lot with ruthie but even with the experience with ruthie there's still kind of a learning curve with lola because you know, again she's a different dog but i mean we've had her two months now and that seems like such a short time it doesn't feel like it's been a short time because yeah we just we all get along very well Mm-hmm. And she sleeps on the bed with us, which is just the best thing. After, well, yeah. yeah, Ruthie did, too. After not having a dog sleep in the bed, it's wonderful to have that back. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. though Lola does try to take up as much bed as possible. Yeah, I mean, Ruthie was good about being parallel to us in the bed and giving us our space. Although she didn't like when I had to come to bed after she already got settled. Ruthie very much voiced her displeasure if I tried to move her. Because <laughs> I usually get to bed second, but Lola positions herself perpendicular, usually right along my pillow, and trying to move her. She has this ability to turn herself into 6,000 pounds of dead weight. Yep. She just cannot be moved. And I actually tore a bed sheet once trying to move her. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't try to growl at me or anything, but she just won't move. She won't move. I have to pretend that I'm going to take her outside or something to get her to move. And thankfully, she falls for it every time. But it's just wonderful to have a beagle again. Yeah. 
Because there's nothing like a beagle. Yeah, and she's a sweet, she's a sweet little girl too. And again, we can leave her home alone. Yeah, that that was. I was not sure how that was going to work. Yeah, I was so. I really on edge the first few times. But I really, really, really did not want to have to create her. Just yeah. Because I want her to just be comfortable and to be able to curl up on the couch and and not be restricted to a small space all day. Yeah. You know, to be able to get get a drink of water and just not be confined. I can't do that. Yeah. Oh, and she does the most wonderful stretches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ruthie would do that, too. Like, she would, like, Ruthie would do these stretches, these little puppy stretches that you say are downward dogs. Cause they are. Like, That's like, where downward well, yeah. dog comes from. Yeah, Lola does that, but she also does this little thing that just, I think she does it just to, like, control me. And to be adorable. And to be adorable. Or she will, like, she'll not only do the downward dog stretch, but she'll also, like, stretch out one of her legs at a time and it's there's just something about that it's just the most adorable thing so like, she like she's doing a little arabesque or something <laughs> i'll take your word for that and i wrote down in my notes here royal paw oh my god yeah when i got home i think it was on was it a friday i think it had to have been a friday i think because i got home pretty early i sat down with her on the bed and she just started wriggling around and making all these puppy sounds. Like, and just like a little beagle maniac. And it's nothing unusual. Ruthie would do that sometimes. And I know Spot would do that sometimes, too. So I grabbed my phone and flipped the video on. And as soon as the, I, I hit the record button, she stopped doing that. And she just sat up and just started looking at me as if to say, what? And I just kind of walked around to see if she would, re, she would resume being a little maniac. Because I wanted to record it for posterity and I don't know why I did this but I just reached out my hand and she slowly extended her paw very slowly and deliberately in this kind of royal handshake pose with her little wrist bent and she kind of extended her little paw fingers too as if she almost I think she wanted me to kiss her paw or something (laughs) but it was so royal yep Ruthie was a princess because princesses don't really have to do anything except lie around and look pretty. Yeah. But I think Lola might be a queen. She she does have a sense of regalness to her. Yes, she does. When she she's does. not licking her own crotch. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, we talked a lot about Ruthie and Spot, but we knew... We, like you knew Spot for twelve years, we knew Ruthie for ten years, but we've only had Lola for two months, so we're still we're still learning about her, and we're still waiting for stories to unfold. Well, one thing that is beautiful about having Lola, I mean, with Ruthie, we didn't know anything about her background. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I I created a backstory for her, but we have no idea how accurate that is. Because, you know, her life is just a blank before she was picked up by Brew. Yeah. With Lola, I mean, we know from the rescue that she had to be surrendered by a family because uh, something had changed with their living situation and they couldn't keep a dog anymore. So we knew, you know, she wasn't just a stray or anything. And she was microchipped. And I had called to... um, 
change her registration on the microchip and I was expecting the registration to be from the rescue because that's how Ruthie's chip had been you know, yeah. it, it had been put in by Brew but evidently Lola had been microchipped uh, as a puppy because they looked up her record and I mean it had been changed to the rescue but the record had been had existed since she was a puppy and the lady on the phone said you're going to want to log into the profile and change the photo because it's obviously a puppy photo mm. from 2016 and I was like oh really and I go into I go into I logged in and there was a picture of baby Lola yeah it was definitely Lola too I mean yeah because the markings are the same it was it was kind of odd it must have been you know taken for some kind of holiday thing because different organizations and things will do pictures like that because she's sitting on this little fake grass pad with two rubber ducks next to her <laughs> and she has this little pissy puppy look <laughs> on her face yep. like she didn't want to do this and they made her do it and I just love that picture so much because you know we had always wondered what Ruthie looked like as yeah. a baby but now we know what puppy Lola looks like, and that's just... And we know when she was born, yep. too. She was born on Valentine's Day in 2016. Yep. So we have a little Valentine's beagle. Yep. Because that's saying we never knew Ruthie's real birth date, nope. either. We just... The vet gave us an estimate based on her teeth, yeah, but... Yeah, we just kind of assumed she was We had no four. idea yeah. what her birthday was, so we usually just made her birthday like her gotcha day but yep with lola we know her real birth date yeah yeah, it's yeah just, i'm so glad we know that so really what else can we say that we're suckers for beagles yeah we are we are suckers <laughs> yeah i remember before how i was talking to my parents and how uh, i had said that I wasn't really afraid of Ruthie, say, getting loose. And my mother said, well, yeah, because she knows that she found two suckers. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know about Lola yet, but, you know, I think she knows that we're suckers. I think she oh, does. Oh, no, I think she does, too. Yep, she knows she's got us. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she, she knows how to control us. She knows how to make me not want to leave for work. She just knows. Oh, yeah, she... she She's good at laying on the puppy guilt in the morning. I don't see it as guilt. I just see it more as, like, control. Yeah. But I can resist puppy control. Sure you can. Yes, I can. Sure you can. Yes, I can. <laughs> can. <laughs> as for Lola, well, we've now had her for seven months, and we just celebrated her fourth birthday. Uh, when we first got her, she was a little bit on the chubby side, but she slimmed down. We're very, very strict about the food we give her. We give her only dog food and no table scraps ever. And of course, we give her a treat now and then. Uh, Lola is a wonderful dog. She is a very good girl, and she's very well behaved when alone, except that once in a while she'll chew a cardboard box if she's roaming around and sees a cardboard box. Uh, she had separation anxiety when we first got her, and it took a few months, but uh, she seems to have gotten over that. When we first got her, our neighbors told us that uh, they could hear her all the time when we weren't home. A couple of people said, yeah, she, she does make a lot of noise, but only for about five, ten minutes, and she calms down. 
I asked one of our neighbors recently, I said, is our apartment quieter now when we're not home? And he said, oh, it is a lot quieter. So that that's good. And, and our neighbors are very good about it. Most of the people in the building have dogs, but even when she's loud, she can't really be heard through the walls very much. People can hear her, but not to the point that it's disruptive. Lola is definitely not Ruthie, but there is a lot about her that kind of reminds me of Ruthie. Like she sleeps all the time now, uh, which According to the vet, if a dog sleeps a lot, that's usually a good sign. It means the dog's very comfortable and is very adapted. I don't remember if we mentioned this in the recording we did back in September, but Lola loves attention. And lately I've noticed that if we're outside and somebody walks by without stopping to give her affection, she will get mad. She will start barking and howling at that person. And she does that too if uh, the person does actually give her some attention and affection, but not enough to her satisfaction. But uh, anyway, obviously Lisa and I, we love beagles. I never experienced a beagle personally until I met Spot, but after getting to know him, and especially after 10 years with Ruthie, I just can't imagine not having a beagle. But if you're thinking about getting a dog and have never experienced a beagle before, you need to understand something. Beagles are not for everybody. They're crazy. They're stubborn. They will eat everything that's not nailed down. And then after that, they will eat everything that is nailed down. They can be pretty demanding, which I, I admit it's kind of cute. I think a good way to explain what it's like to have a beagle is what I was told one time when I had to go to the Westminster Kennel Club show back when I worked for a pet book publishing company. I talked to somebody who was showing a Petit Basset Griffin Vendéant, or a PBGV as they're called. Uh, that was the flavor of the month back then. The PBGV was going to win. They knew that before the show even happened. But I asked a lady with the PBGV, would this be a good breed perhaps for a young couple who just got married? They want to add a dog to the households. And the lady said, well, if you're going to have a PBGV, you got to have a sense of humor. And I think that's a great way to explain having a beagle. Beagles are silly. They do weird things that you'll find angering if you don't have a sense of humor, but hilarious if you do have a sense of humor. But the thing is, beagles are very sweet dogs, and they're very loyal. And that's the important thing. But having said all that, let's get to some music. For this episode's installment of Music for Schnooks, uh, we're going to hear a song that, oh well, I wrote, and unfortunately I sang. Uh, I don't like my singing voice, but the thing is, I can't afford to hire somebody to sing my songs for me, so yeah, I gotta do it myself. But uh, the song is called Belly Rub. I think I first wrote this song in May 2010, because when I searched for the lyrics on my hard drive... I found the lyrics in a chord diagram that was dated May of 2010, and the lyrics were much different from what you're about to hear. I didn't realize I still had a version from that long ago. What I do know, what I can tell you, is that I wrote the song as an assignment in a songwriting class I took at the Old Town School of Folk Music here in Chicago. I mentioned the instructor in a previous episode. Her name is Sue DeMell. I took several of her classes over the years, and I imagine I will again sometime. The assignment in particular was to take an existing song, but reverse the chords. That is, use the chord pattern in that song, but start at the end and go backwards. Think of the common story told of how Because by the Beatles is basically Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata backwards. 
But I remember the night that I wrote the song. I was in our third bedroom, which isn't really used as a bedroom, but more of a combination home office uh, recording studio, uh, because I record my podcasts in there, uh, my video gaming lounge, and storage for Lisa's yarn. For some reason, the song Where Do I Go from the musical Hair suddenly came to mind as a possible song to look to for chord reversal. Despite being called the American Tribal Love Rock musical, the music in Hair is actually closer to jazz than rock, which kind of makes sense because composer Galt McDermott was a jazz musician, and the chord changes in most of the songs are not typical for rock. I don't believe I mentioned it on this podcast in any previous episodes, but I'm a massive fan of the musical Hair. It was the music that I heard by circumstance that got me into the show. Uh, mind you, I'm not a big fan of musicals in general. Thinking of musicals I've recently seen, I can't say much about them, really. Motown the Musical was too jukeboxy, and it seemed to focus too much on Barry Gordy's affair with Diana Ross. Beautiful, the musical about Carole King. It had a strange and inaccurate timeline, and it made Man and Wile out to be Goffin and King's mortal enemies. But then suddenly in the middle of the show, Carol says, but they're our best friends. It's like, wait a minute, you were just, I don't know. Uh, it just didn't make sense to me. But this was several years ago, so hopefully they fixed the script since. I saw the Book of Mormon, and I, f I thought it was severely overrated. I mean, sure, there were funny moments, but it wasn't the laugh-out-loud riot that everybody made it out to be. And I'm about to say the most controversial thing that I've ever said in my life. I did not like Hamilton. <laughs> it took freaking forever for any plot advancement to happen. It seemed like the first hour was nothing but Aaron Burr walking up to people and saying, Hi, I'm Aaron Burr. I'm looking for Alexander Hamilton. Hair is different. I mean, yeah, it's over 50 years old now, and ergo, not necessarily comparable to modern shows. But it is constantly under revision, courtesy of the show's lone living author, James Rado. Unfortunately, many of those revisions kind of overexplain things, and they added some pretty dreadful lyrics to the songs. But at least it's not just a show left in the past. Now, I'm not intending to turn this into a talk about hair, but I thought a bit of context would be important. Many say that hair doesn't really have a plot, but nothing could be further from the truth. In short, there's a lead character named Claude, who's friends with a bunch of hippies roughly his age, and they all live on the street. In fact, most productions include him among the tribe of hippies, although he does live with his parents in Queens. The whole show deals with a big dilemma Claude is facing. He just received a draft card, and he doesn't know what to do about it. He doesn't support the war in Vietnam, and his friends pressure him to burn his draft card and not go but there's just enough patriotism in him to make him feel it's his duty, not to mention the pressure from his parents and his desire to make them proud of him. The first act of the show ends with a draft card burning ceremony in the middle of an anti-war rally. He's about to put his draft card in the fire, but then he pulls it away from the fire, and in some productions he actually puts it into the fire, but then quickly pulls it out and snuffs out the flame. Then he sings the song, Where Do I Go?, which expresses the internal struggle that's going on in his mind. And that's the song that has the famous nude scene, where for a few brief seconds at the end of the song, at least some of the cast on stage either strips nude or emerges from hiding places nude 
in very dim lighting. And trust me, friends, if you've never seen a production of Hair with the Nudity, it's usually very quick and very dim. It's seriously very blink and you miss it. If you've never heard the song Where Do I Go but are curious, I strongly recommend listening to the version that the Broadway cast recorded at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in 1971. I believe it's on YouTube, and if it is, I'll link it in the online bibliography at schnookpodcast.com. Robin McNamara delivers an amazing, chilling lead vocal. Where do I go? Follow my heartbeat. Where do I go? Follow my hand. But anyway, going back to the night that I wrote Belly Rub, I pulled out my copy of Vocal Selections from Hair. It was a piano vocal guitar book that contained songs from the movie Hair. Uh, to this day, as far as I know, there has not been such a book for all the songs from the original show. <laughs> Whatever. I sat down at my Yamaha digital piano and opened the book to Where Do I Go? And I started playing the chords from the song, starting from the end, of course. The very last chord in the song was a D minor, but I found that to be a weird chord to start with. I mean, I'm sure it's done all the time, but I just wasn't getting that kind of a vibe. I shouldn't have started something on a D minor, so I changed it to F, which is the D minor's relative uh, major. Well, D minor is F major's relative minor, I should say. Meanwhile, Lisa was sitting on the floor nearby, and uh, Ruthie was right next to her, and Lisa was rubbing her belly, because that's what you do when there's a dog next to you. You rub the dog's belly. And Lisa said, you should write a song called Belly Rub. Hmm, that's an idea. I I had a deadline to get a song fully written, so I was open to just about any idea. Why the hell not? That's all Lisa gave me, just the title. So I thought about what prompted that title. Well, it was Lisa and our beagle. And what do I know about this beagle? Well, she's lazy for one thing. She spends most of her time sleeping. Seriously, Ruthie turns sleep into an art form. And like most beagles, she doesn't like to be alone. She wants to be with her pack. And something that anybody fortunate enough to have a dog knows. You've had a rough day at work. You trudge home. You just want to collapse. But when you get home, the dog greets you and makes you realize that any annoyance you've dealt with all day is worth it just to come home to a happy dog greeting. So I went to class and I presented Belly Rub. Sue liked the song, but uh, there was one lyric in it she didn't like. I put my foot down on it, though. I was not going to change that word. Uh, To this day, Sue still gives me a hard time about it. But nope, it's staying in. Uh, What lyric is it? Well, listen to the song now and uh, you'll hear it. What a crazy day on the job. Come home feeling of drop on But then you know you see a girl As you make your way through the door But is she really asking much? All she wants is a belly rub All day long she's stuck at home She don't much like to be alone No, no, no 
so she spends her day in bed And she rests her weary little head Getting through the day is tough And all she wants is a belly rub She'll always be your little pup And all she wants is a belly rub Just a belly rub All she wants is a belly rub Yes, she does Just a belly rub Oh, there you go. Again, I'm not thrilled with my singing voice, but hey, it's the only voice I have, so I don't really have much choice, do I? For the vocal, I was kind of going for a bit of Randy Newman, uh, crossed with mid-to-late 70s Dennis Wilson, I guess. The piano and organ sounds come courtesy of me playing my Yamaha digital piano, and uh, that was piped into Logic Pro via MIDI. I'm also playing the bass. It's that cheapo Fender Squire P bass that Lisa and I bought with some of our wedding money 20 years ago. And because I don't know how to play drums and I don't have a drum kit, and my neighbors thank me for that, by the way, the drums come from a loop. If for God knows what reason you want the song separate from this podcast, you can get it at scatteredfrog.bandcamp.com, and I will link that in the online bibliography at schnookpodcast.com. And I guess this is a good place to end the episode. As usual, I thank you for listening, and I thank my wife Lisa for her ongoing support and her active participation in this episode. And of course, thanks to Brew Midwest and the Wags to Wishes Rescue in Plainfield, Illinois, for making this episode even possible, and of course, for helping bring some joy into our lives. Snossages is a registered trademark of Big Heart Pet Incorporated. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram via the handle Schnook Podcast. Oh, by the way, Lola also has a Twitter account too. Every day there's a new picture of her posted under the account Daily Lola Beagle. Yep, my dog has a freaking Twitter account. And uh, she has almost 100 more followers than has Autobiography of a Schnook. Uh, anyway, you can also email me at autobio at schnookpodcast.com and you can follow this podcast on Facebook too. And as I always like to say as I sign off, the good goes around, especially if you have a dog. All the best, my friends. My friends.